tonight, uh, we're going to dive in. I've got, um, I want to start with a scripture uh, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 10, Jeremiah chapter 10, if you've got a Bible. This is, uh, we're going to open here, and then we will circle back around to it. But Jeremiah chapter 10, and we're going to begin reading at verse, uh, verse 1. And Jeremiah is, uh, man, it's one of my favorite books. He's honestly, outside of Jesus, probably my favorite character in all of Scripture. Uh, because Jeremiah was just an incredible individual. His story is just amazing. Here's a guy that's called by God uh, to preach, to be a prophet. And he does it faithfully year after year after year after year after year. And no one listens. And we would, we would call that a failed church plant. Like Jeremiah just go home and like quit. But he doesn't quit. He continues to obey what God has told him to do. No matter how people respond, he just keeps at, keeps at it. And in chapter 10, as we come here, he uh, takes up the issue of idolatry. That he lives in a culture in which worshiping idols is like the, uh, the air that you breathe. It's just what people do. And we make a grave mistake when we distance ourselves from his time and we say that our culture isn't as full of idols as his was. We may not see people running around bowing down to trees and, and those types of things, but our culture is chock full of idols. And I would argue this, that there is not a culture that is not chock full of idols, and here's why. I believe it was uh, Augustine who said this, and I, I may have that wrong, but there was a, a man who once said this, that the human heart is an idol factory, right? That we have a way of... Uh, of making something to worship, because here's the thing, you were created to worship, and you're going to worship one way or another, and it will either be God, or it will be yourself, or it will be something else. You, you, there's no getting around it. Like, you're, you're made for that, and so in Jeremiah's time, it's easy for us to look at these times in the Bible and go, oh, that's not really going, like, no, it, everywhere you look around you, there are people today worshiping idols, and so Jeremiah takes up this almost funny uh, sort of poke at their idols, and in, in beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10, he says this, Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, and don't be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed by them. So don't be scared of what the other nations are scared of, is what he's saying here. He says, For their customs are vanity, their customs are empty. A tree from the forest is cut down, and it's worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. And they decorate it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with a hammer and nail so that it cannot move. Their idols, and here's where he starts to poke fun. He says, their idols, they're like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They have to be carried. They cannot walk. Don't be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. So Jeremiah is poking fun. He says, these people, they chop down a tree and they fashion this idol and then they call it their God. And their God isn't even powerful enough to like move around by himself. He has to be carried around. Someone has to pick him up and carry him. And I want us to keep this passage in mind and then we're going to move over to the book of Hebrews this evening. And we'll, we're going to circle back around to that passage there in Jeremiah. We will come back to it in just a moment. But the book of Hebrews that we're going to read from in chapter 11, 
Uh, this last week, I was tasked by my mother-in-law, as often falls to me on both sides of my family, uh, finding some new tech gadget or figuring out kind of what's the best thing to purchase. And so she wanted to purchase one of these robot vacuum cleaners, right? You've all seen them, a Roomba or whatever. And so I was tasked with finding the best one for her house. And so I go online and what I do, I hit up the reviews, right? And they give me all the reasons this uh, robot is better than that robot. And this robot will do things that that robot wasn't doing. And if you pay $50 more, then you get this much. And if you pay $100 more, then it, it'll like, it has its own trash can, right? It'll empty itself for you, right? So there's all these reviews on which one's better and which one's the best. And when we come to the book of Hebrews, I want you to think of it like this. It's almost like a review on Jesus, right? The, the, the book of Hebrews is written to a, a group of people who have come out of Judaism. They've come out of the Jewish religion. And there's this temptation, for whatever reason, to go back. They're tempted maybe to go back into this, to, to revert back and, and, and leave Jesus behind. And the author of Hebrews is going to say, you can't leave Jesus behind because he is better. Like if you stack him up in a review against your old way of life, Jesus comes up better. If you stack him up in a review against something else, against Moses, if you stack him up against the angels, if you stack him up against the prophets, if, no matter what you put him up against, Jesus always comes out as the better in the review. And the book of Hebrews is going to repeat this idea over and over and say that Jesus is always better. Jesus is always better. And so he urges his followers to move forward and to grow in their faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer highlights the faith of those who had gone before, and he tells his readers, you need to follow their example. And so I want to look at a few verses from Hebrews chapter 11, just reading verse 23 to 27 real fast this evening. Hebrews 11, 23 through 27. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to his reward. And by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured seeing as, as seeing him who is invisible. Now, here's a question that I want us to ponder tonight. If the book of Hebrews was written today in the 21st century, most of us don't struggle with returning to a Jewish background as the, the original readers would have struggled with. But what would they, if someone was writing this to us today, what would they write to us and say to us that Jesus was better than? Like, what, what, what is it that we would want to hold on to that we need to let go of because Jesus is better? Would they say Jesus is better than Buddhism or Islam or any of those types of things? Well, well maybe, but the truth of the matter is sometimes in church we struggle with uh, pointing out there and readily looking in, in here. And sometimes we talk about all of the stuff people out there are dealing with, and we don't look at ourselves. And so what would the author say to us about how Jesus is better? What would he be better than for us? And so this evening, I want to kind of talk about this idea about Jesus being better. And as we read this 
passage in Hebrews about Moses, I think it paints a picture of where many people find themselves in our own culture. So just to give us some background on Moses, most of you probably are aware of it, but the people of Israel, they're slaves in Egypt. And the king of Egypt decides that he needs to do something about the population of the uh, Israelites. They're getting out of control, and the last thing he needs is an army rising up against him. So he makes this command to go out and to uh, kill every firstborn male, because if he can kill the firstborn males of the Israelites, they can't raise an army and they can't rebel. And so he begins to do this, and it's in that context that Moses' parents give birth to him. And they see that there's something special about him, and so they decide, we're not going to let this boy die. We're not going to let him be, be killed. Instead, what we're going to do is hide him. And so they hide him, and if you remember the story, they hide him in the Nile, in the, in the basket, if you remember from Sunday school, right? And he floats down the Nile, and lo and behold, someone finds him, and it isn't just any someone, it is the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so she takes him in, and she begins to raise him, and so Moses goes from probably dying and being killed to living in the life of luxury and wealth as one of the grandsons of Pharaoh himself. So here again we have Moses raised in the household of the king of Egypt, This is the dream of every little boy and girl, right? To be a prince or a princess, right? If you have kids or grandkids, you know that's that's a dream. And Moses gets the dream. He's a prince. He's a prince of Egypt. And so, but our text in Hebrews tells us this, that Moses decides to leave all of that behind. Why in the world would he decide to leave all of that behind? Why would he choose to leave the, the education and the prestige and the power, and the wealth, and all of the success that he had there in Egypt. Why in the world would he leave all of that behind? And the answer is this, because Jesus is better. And he knew that. And so we see here in this text, and this is what we want to get into, first of all, this, that Jesus is better than wealth. In 11.26, we see this, that Moses thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, that he was looking ahead to his great reward. Moses looked and saw all the treasures of Egypt, and he decided it would be better to serve God. Now, from a worldly standpoint, again, this looks like crazy, like Moses is nuts. But from a spiritual standpoint, Moses was a pretty smart man. Now, why? Again, we live in a culture that idolizes money, that money seems to be what gets us places and what gets us things and what makes us accomplish things. And we say things like this. Maybe you've heard yourself say this. If I just had more money, I could fill in the blank. If I just had more money, I would be happy. If I just had more money, I would... And we tell ourselves these things. And as Christians, we can begin to look to money to make us secure and complete. That we can begin to tie ourselves, if we're not careful to money and to riches. And the Bible tells us that Moses walked away from all those things because serving God is better, that Jesus is better. The truth is, if money brought real and lasting happiness, why are so many rich people depressed and unhappy? We we tell ourselves this illusion uh, that money somehow will bring us uh, happiness and will make everything okay. And the truth is, that you're still just 
as empty. You're still just as broken. Does this mean that money is bad? No. Money itself doesn't have any moral value. It's just a, it's just a tool. But the truth is, when we look to it for our salvation instead of Jesus, we have a problem. When it becomes an idol in our life, we have a problem. It, it's, it's, we need to use it in the right way. And so here's why Jesus is better. Is First of all, when you love money, you never have enough. It's never enough. I can't remember who it was. I believe it was uh, Ford or uh, I, Carnegie or one of those guys. They asked him, when's it going to be enough money? And they said, just a little bit more, right? We just, we just want a little bit more money. And always, it, it always, we always want more and more. And when you worship money, it can become addictive. It's like a drug. It's like one hit is never enough. We always need more. I was watching a show some years ago, and uh, in it was one of those intervention shows, right? You know, the, the type on like TLC or one of those channels. And this girl was hooked and on and addicted to, to drugs. And, and so... It showed her on, on camera like they caught her, right? Her dad was deathly ill. I mean, deathly ill. And he needed some medicine in order to survive. And she snuck into his bedroom by his bedside where he's dying, got into his medicine stash, and stole his medicine that he needs to live so that she could keep getting high. You say, why, whoa, like that's crazy. Yeah, people do crazy things when they're addicted to things. And how many people do crazy things simply because of money? And even in the church, listen, again, we can kind of point the finger out there, but I want us to examine our own lives tonight. Have we made an idol out of this area of our lives? Have we allowed it a place that only Jesus should really be filling? Many people do the same things with money. How many parents neglect their kids for more money? How many people cheat and steal for more money? How many people, I see it, you see it with like kids in, in, uh, in youth group, right? There's, there's a couple things that happen. They turn 16, right? It's a great milestone. We love it. They get their driver's license. Again, good milestone. Great. And then they get a job. And I've noticed over the years, like students, if they keep coming to church and make a priority out of it after they've gotten a car and turned 16 and got a job, like that means that it really means something to them. Like they really want to be there. But for some of them, you can watch, and as you're having conversation, they're like, I, ju- I just, I gotta have more, I gotta have more money, because, you know, I gotta pay for my car insurance, I gotta pay for my gas, and, and, you know, I gotta go out with my friends on the weekend, so I gotta work, and sorry I'm not here, I hadn't been here in like two months to church, but like, you know, I gotta work. And again, there's nothing wrong with working, but if we're not careful slowly, and like it subtly begins to work its way into our lives, and all of a sudden our priorities get out of whack, and we begin to start to think, and that's really what matters. And the truth is that there are things that are a lot more important in our lives than money. Amen. And we have to learn to put Jesus first. And the problem with money is this, is that one day it will leave us or we will leave it. Like, it, it's fickle. It will, it will, we, you can wake up tomorrow and be broke. You can go to bed tonight and have millions of dollars and wake up tomorrow and be, all of it's gone. That, that's the way that it works. And so it is an idol. It is a God that will not really satisfy. And Moses understood this one important thing. Wealth is temporary, but when you serve God, his reward is eternal. Wealth is temporary, but when you serve God, his reward is eternal. And so Moses makes the choice. He traded something that could not last for something that can never fade. 
He traded something that could not last for something that can never fade. And so not only is Jesus better than money, but we see in Hebrews eleven twenty four 24, that Jesus is better than power or fame. It tells us this, that Moses, by faith, when he grew up, he refused to be called the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. The author of Hebrews tells us Moses gives up his title, his prestige, his position, because he understood that serving God was more important than any amount of power or fame that he could, he could get. I grew up in, uh, in Memphis, Tennessee, and if you don't know much about it, you probably know that Elvis Presley is from there, right? Graceland and all this stuff. And you may not know, but Elvis was Assembly of God. Like, he went to Memphis First Assembly. That's where he attended church. And I have a, a couple of friends who uh, remember they went to Sunday school with Elvis when they were kids. And so they, they would go to Sunday school with him, and they remember when he hit his sort of teenage years and got a little bit older, that Elvis started kind of missing. Like, he was, he was hit and miss in Sunday school, right? He was, he'd be there one week, and the next week not, and... Then he come in some Sundays, and he was tired, and they were like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I've been out, you know, singing, playing my music. And, and over time, you could, they could see how he stopped, he kind of stopped attending. He kind of stopped, dro- he started dropping off. Why? Because there was fame and fortune and the allure of all of the name and the power and all the stuff. And slowly but surely, he sort of began to wander away, and, and all of a sudden, it wasn't just he was hit and miss. It's that where's, he's not there. He wasn't there anymore. And you know, it, it can be power and fame and wealth can be so alluring to us. And you know, he got fame and he got fortune and success, but at what cost? At what cost? He was empty. He was empty. But one of the, the men that my, uh, actually the, one of the, another pastor that I know used to, used to go and counsel Elvis when he was depressed and he was down. And he would talk about how empty he was. He had all the girls and all the fame and all the notoriety, and his name was in lights, and he was famous as a movie star, and yet on the inside, man, there was something just empty. He was broken. And I often wonder when we look at men like him and we see their life, and it's often said, what a great life, like all all the great things that they achieved. But the truth is, I wonder when we get to heaven if we'll have some different perspective and if our perspective will change. And maybe if the people we looked at and say, well, they didn't achieve much, maybe those are the people that God's really working through, and they're the ones that are achieving something. And the people we think, we we shine their name in lights and make them popular, I wonder how God really sees it. Because the truth is that God sees differently. And you know as well as I do that the music and the entertainment industry, they're littered with people who began in church singing praises to God, and they walked away so they could be successful or famous But at the end of the day, none of that brings happiness or peace. And Moses understood that his title and his pedigree did not really matter. He traded what really, what didn't matter for something that mattered for eternity. He knew that staying there and being known as the son of, the grandson of Pharaoh, that none of that mattered, that that was not the point of life, that that was not the purpose. And he walked away from all of that for something Better So Jesus is better than wealth, and Jesus is better than fame. And then Hebrews 11.25 is going to tell us this, Jesus is better than pleasure. It tells us this, that he chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. The word for pleasure here is not just sensual stuff. That's what we think of. But imagine, imagine all the fun that you could have as the grandson of the king. 
Imagine, imagine all the great things that you could do and all the, all the trips that could be had and all of the, the things that you could get away with and the stuff that you could do just because of your title and your position and your wealth and then all the fun that you could go out and have. Imagine all of the fun that he would have while the Hebrews were outside suffering unjustly. And he made the decision that it wasn't right. He made the decision that all of the pleasure would be empty but honoring God is what would last. And you know, we live in a world that idolizes our feelings, right? We say this, if it feels good, do it. But this is dangerous because the Bible doesn't tell us to follow our feelings. It tells us to follow the voice of the Lord. Our feelings will get us in trouble. If you think about how many times you've gotten in trouble by saying, I, I did that just because, you know, just because I felt like it. You ever done something dumb and people are going, why in, like, why in the world did you do it? And you go, oh, yeah, it, just fe- it felt like the right thing to do. Man, how many times do we get in trouble by, by doing that? We often say things like, I did it because I felt like it. It feels right. How can it be wrong? Our culture tells us we need to do whatever makes us happy. Right? We live in a culture that idolizes pleasure and idolizes happiness. We go into debt for pleasure. We do stupid things for pleasure. And we have no... Uh, we have no room for suffering in our society. Suffering is something to be avoided and gotten away from as quickly as possible. And the biblical model is going to say, no, like suffering is not something we go looking for, but man, suffering is something God can use in our lives. That there is a way that God uses it to shape us and form us in a way that just pleasure and just happiness could not do. And so Moses walks away from all of that to follow Jesus, because Jesus wants to give us deeper joy and deeper pleasure than we will ever experience anywhere else. Because the point is that Jesus wants to make us whole. He wants to make us complete. He wants to put all the pieces of the puzzle of our life in the right place so that we can be full and we can be uh, complete. And Jesus offers us a long-term solution why often we continue to short, uh, search for the short-term fix. The world is full of people and full of solutions that will fix us for a moment and make us feel better for a moment. But it is only Jesus that for eternity will fix the problems in our lives. Jesus offers real peace, real wholeness. And Moses understood this. Sin is fun for a minute. It is. There, there, there is no denying that, that sin is is pleasurable and fun for a moment. But man, in the end, it leads to emptiness and it leads to death. And Jesus is always better. Jesus is always better. Sin says this, I want it now. The future doesn't matter. It's all about fun now. And we often trade real joy and real peace and real relationship with God and lasting fulfillment for one moment of pleasure. And you'll see in all of these that what happens here is this, is Moses takes something temporary, be it wealth or fame or pleasure, and he trades it for something that is eternal. He trades it for something that is eternal, that will last. And we need to look into our own lives and ask ourselves the question, where have we allowed temporary things to sort of become first place? And how can we remind ourselves that Jesus is always better than any of those things. Whatever you have, Jesus is better, and we need to put him in that place. I want us to go back to our passage in Jeremiah as we close, 
because I, I noticed something in this, and really what we've been talking about is this, is we've been talking about idols. The idols of wealth and the idol of fame and the idol of pleasure and the idol of what, fill in the blank. Our culture is chock full of idols. And I want you to hear what Jeremiah says in verse 5. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They have to be carried. They cannot walk. Don't be afraid of them. Notice what he says. Their idols cannot speak. They cannot walk. They have to be carried. Moses understood this, and he traded a God that he would have to carry for a God that would carry him. And many times I wonder if our lives are not weighted down by idols. Because anytime you make something an idol, you have to be the one to carry it. When you make money your idol, you have to be the one to carry it. It cannot carry itself. You have to constantly be going back for more. You have to constantly be figuring out how to make more. You have to carry it. When you make pleasure your idol, you have to carry it. You always have to be looking for another fix. You always have to be trying to figure out how, where you're going to get another pleasure from. Where, where are you going to have more fun at? You have to be the one to carry it. And what happens is that it begins to disappoint you because it begins a, becomes a burden on your life. When you make fame or, or power or prestige or position your idol, you have to be the one to carry it. You have to, you have to make the job. You have to push your way through. It has to be done by you because it cannot carry itself. Amen. And I wonder sometimes how much of our anxiety and our worry and our problems are because we're carrying around idols on our back. That we are weighed down carrying things when in reality we need to submit to the God who doesn't need to be carried but will instead carry us. That when we submit ourselves to God, we don't have to, like we, we still do, we still work, but we don't have, it doesn't have to carry our life anymore. We don't have to carry it. Work becomes fulfilling because it's not at the center of our world anymore. It becomes meaningful because it's, it's in its right and proper perspective that we're not expecting it to carry us. Our relationships become fulfilling. There are people who, they get divorced. And why do they get divorced? It's because they expect their marriage to fulfill every need that they have in their life. And if, I'm sorry, but if you expect your spouse to fulfill every need that you have in your life, like you're, that's not going to happen. We, we make an idol out of our own own children, expecting them to fulfill every need that they have in our lives. And what happens is this, is we get frustrated because we have to carry it. And it weighs us down, and we're frustrated, and we're worried, and we're anxious, and God is saying, man, just give it to me. And Jeremiah pokes fun at him and says, man, those things can't carry you. You have to carry them. Like You make them, and you bow down, and you worship them, and yet you're the one who has to produce the results. You're the one who has to pick them up. They can't even move themselves from place to place. You have to, you have to do that for them. And he's laughing at them and rightly so making fun of them. But how many times in our lives do we put things there and we're the ones that have to carry it and we're the ones who have to make it happen and we put all of our hope in it and we put all of our, our source in it and then we're empty and we're broken and we're burdened down because, man, we were never meant to carry that weight that the way that it really works is this, is that we give ourselves to Jesus and He carries us. 
And man, then everything starts to fall in line. That money, now it's not something that uses us, but it is something that we begin to use properly. That wealth and fame and, and that position, now it's not something that uses us and it changes us and manipulates us. It's now something that we use for God and for His glory. That pleasure becomes something that we can, actually, we can actually enjoy it. We can actually enjoy life now because we're not searching for another hit, another high, another whatever that it is that we need. Why? Because everything starts to be in its proper place. And so tonight I want us to stand and I, I just want us to, in our own way, right where we are, examine our own hearts. And I, again, I believe the quote is true. The human heart is an idol factory. We will... We will find something to worship. And I just want to echo the words of Jeremiah. Man, those, those things cannot walk. They, they cannot fulfill us. They, they can't come through. And man, maybe you're frustrated and you're wore out and you're tired because you put all of your hope in something that's never, like it's never going to fulfill it. And you're wore out from carrying something and God wants to carry you. That, that you shouldn't be carrying your gods, that God should be carrying you.